And that's what Paul is actually really challenging us to do in Ephesians 5, beginning at verse number 8. We'll read down to verse number 14. It says these words, For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light of in the Lord. Live as children of the light. I want you to hold that text, underline that text. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But in everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want to wrestle with this thought. I will bring Jesus home. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I will bring Jesus home. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and pray this book has been a blessing to you as it's been a blessing to me. Going back to Ephesians chapter 1, remember God is a blesser. We are worthy of every spiritual blessing because he granted us the Messiah and Jesus in turn put everything under his feet. Ephesians 2, we are alive today because Jesus is alive in us and no matter where we are, Jesus is alive in us and for us. Ephesians 3, God gave us access to spiritual things because the extraordinary amount of grace that Christ gave to us. So much so that Paul doesn't even know how to respond or name the grace. So Paul just ends the book of Ephesians chapter 3 by saying, so just unto him who can do exceedingly and abundantly. Of all, we can ask and imagine according to the power that works. And like Paul didn't even know how to explain the grace of God. So he says this exceedingly and abundantly above all, I can ask and imagine. And so now Paul moves from this being to doing in chapter 4. He tells us, chapter 4, verse 1, live a life in a manner worthy of the calling. How do we do that? Chapter 4, in church, Paul says that's in unity. One of the ways Paul says do it is speak the truth in love. Why? Because that's the way we live in a manner worthy of the calling that we have in the Lord Jesus. Then we get to chapter 5, and Paul says, so those, that then moves, a relationship moves from just being in church to then outside of the church. We engage with people throughout the course of the week that are not in church, but outside of church. And Paul says, so let's look at our relationships. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, your relationship with yourself. So then we love rushing, not we, we always rush to 22 through 33 about marriage and slaves. Paul says, before we get there, let's look at our, let's look at our relationships and the foundation for our relationships. Because before we get to the submission contest, because really it's not just one person, it's not the wives just submitting to husbands. It's a submission contest. The husbands are also submitting to the wife and to the church. Like you see that in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And so Paul says, if we're going to get there, how do, what's the foundation that's laid for our relationships? And that's verses 8 through 14. And before we get to these home relationships, our intimate relationships, our first places of ministry, Paul says, let's go back and see why we have these relationships and what Christ has taught us how to manage those relationships and the reasons we can rejoice because of our intimate personal relationships. In verses 8 through 14, Paul says, look at the text, verse number 8. The reason I have this, the reason I can rejoice about this, beyond sexual immorality, we saw in verses 1 through 5, Paul says, let's just get the bigger picture. Verse 8, for we were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. I want to grab a hold of this. Paul is not saying here we were once in darkness. 
Paul says at one point in time, we were, we were the picture of darkness. Satan wasn't the only dark one. We were the ones who were comfortable in a life full of sin. We were once consumed by sin. And I want us to be clear here when it comes to the salvation part, that when you think about relationships, you think about life, a lot of us, hear me, were, had a longer life before Jesus than we've had a life since Jesus. We know the sin-filled darkness life, and that's why the daily journey of Christ does not end when you get baptized and everything is, like, it's washed away in heaven. But in our memories and our flesh, we are working daily beyond the memories of a dark life. So if you got saved at 22, you had 22 years of darkness. Now you're starting brand new at 22 day number one. If you had 50 years of darkness, you had 50 years of darkness, and you won't outnumber it for another 50 years. That's the difficulty. It's a matter of those individuals who've been married, and you got married at 27, and then all of a sudden your spouse dies after you guys have been married for 30 years. You've had three years of a system where you outdid the system, where you were by yourself, and now you don't know how to get back to that old system of being by yourself because you were married longer than you were single. The same thing applies here when it comes to your walk with Christ. We were once darkness consumed in sin. And Paul says, now that we know Jesus, we daily must make a decision to not be in darkness. And our goal here is to manifest the likeness of the one true light. That's God. James talks about this in James chapter 1, verse 17, that God is literally the father of lights. So Paul says, we were once darkness, now we're the light of the Lord. So live like children of the light. So verse number nine, what does the light produce? For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So the word here for the light, whenever you see this word in scripture, when you see this throughout the, Paul's letters, refers to the fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit is found in Galatians chapter five. So Paul is saying, light produces fruit. Darkness produces nothing. So Paul is getting here. And then Paul says this, this, this mindset, this renewing of the mind is akin to Romans chapter 12. Light pleases God, and it shows that the mind has been renewed. So Paul says, when I'm walking in the light of Christ, I can produce fruit. When I'm walking in darkness, I can only produce one thing, nothing, which is death, right? So Paul says, verse 11, so have nothing then, because we know darkness produces nothing. Have nothing to do with darkness. <laughs> do y'all see this? Paul says, if, if you know that darkness, you know that sin will do one thing, lead to death. Have nothing <laughs> to do with darkness. How do we know where darkness is? Verse number, verse number eight. For you were once darkness, and now you know the light. So since you know the light, produce fruit in the light, because you know if you are in darkness, it produces nothing. Right? But then he says, rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now let me pause here. I want, I've been waiting to talk about this text. This text has been misused so much because we love hurting people. Oh, y'all know it's true. Like somebody falls apart, we can't wait to get on the phone. Like, you ever notice that when somebody gets a job and they tell you, like, oh, that's cute, like whatever. But if somebody... Lost the job. We got 25 people we can't wait to call. We got 35 people we can't wait to tell. Girl, let me tell you something. I knew she wasn't good for that job anyway. You know, I promise you, I told her when she got it, she was going to fail in two years. We love picking on people when they fall. 
Can you imagine if when you fell, when you didn't read scripture, that, that, that if God were to call the heavenly council and be like, yes, I, I, ooh, I knew they were terrible in the first place. How in the world is that Christ-like, that when someone falls, we love picking on those who've fallen? We love killing our wounded in church. But if someone gets a job, oh, that's good. Like, you shouldn't be talking about your new job because, you know, people ain't got no job. Someone gets a car, you know, you shouldn't be talking about your car because what about people who don't got a car? When someone gets married, you know, you shouldn't be talking about your marriage. Your marriage doing so good. Like, why are you so happy? Like, we love putting down people who are blessed. We don't love. We, lo- we love putting down people who are blessed, and we love picking on those who are fallen. That is not what this text is talking about. Paul is talking to the church. He's telling the church at Ephesus. He said, listen, church at Ephesus, there's a lot of people in Ephesus who are outside of the will of God. And Paul is saying, we have so much work to do in this fellowship that we have enough people in this fellowship who don't trust Jesus, who go to church. They love division so much that Paul says, we ain't even welcome, we ain't even ready to welcome the world in. We're not ready for unsaved people because you don't even have fellowship with each other. There's so much darkness in here that Paul says, listen, do not consume yourself with those who don't know Christ just yet because y'all don't even like the folk you go to church with. That's, that's the text. I'm just, I'm just reading the text. Because the people who have professed to be close to God aren't close to God themselves. So Paul says, here's what I want us to do. I want us to make a conscious decision to not live in darkness, to pick on darkness. So Paul says those who are saved, who have made a conscious decision to be dark, Paul says here's our challenge, not to expose, to throw them away, to cancel, to shame them. Like where in the world, the only time we see shame, for some reason, we love bringing up shaming people and throwing people down and throwing people away. That's what Satan does. Satan shames people. Satan reminds you of guilt. Satan overwhelms you with your past. Satan overwhelms you with sin. Satan reminds you that you're not good enough. Did God really say? Satan questions you. Satan makes you feel horrible. But Jesus never does that. Jesus corrects and he comforts. Glory be to the Son of God. And and that's a place to praise God. I know I didn't hoop it and shout it. But church, that's a place where all of us can be praising God. Because when you fell, when you were outside of the will of God, God did not shame you. He corrected and he comforted you. Paul says, look, it, it's shameful to even engage in gossiping about darkness. So Paul says, here's what we do as Christians. You shine light. You show Christ to those who are in darkness. We don't kill our saved brothers and sisters who fall into sin. We expose light on them. We don't cancel. We shed light. Like, this whole thing with Kyrie and Kanye and just, oh, my God. Like, anybody remember we got to vote on Tuesday, but Kanye. We got to vote on Tuesday, but Kyrie. We got to vote on Tuesday, but Kanye. Like, canceling creates a canceled community. We keep canceling people, January 6th happens. I know I ain't talked about politics too much. I'm going to get to it. But we keep canceling people. January 6th happens. We keep canceling people. We have rallies for a president who's no longer the president. We keep canceling people, and we've created a whole canceled community who builds themselves around being canceled. We keep canceling people, and now we got churches popping up all across the city who fall apart in five years because somebody wanted to cancel them. 
And that's where we are now. God says, here's my challenge. Shine light so that darkness cannot exist. What happens in church, what happens in our homes is that darkness finds a place to rest because our lights are not shining. And Paul says that when we shine light, shame isn't welcome. When we shine light, guilt isn't welcome. And here's what it does. Paul says, and we reprove them. We correct it. We take darkness's power away and we take darkness away from our home. We take darkness away from our jobs by simply being children of the light. This scripture has been misused and misread. God is not in heaven looking to gossip about us. God is not in heaven looking to harm his children. God isn't in heaven sitting here trying to get a red table. God isn't in heaven over here trying to make sure he can, he can make sure to talk about you, put some shady sweet tweets up, put some shady Facebook statuses up. God is not in heaven waiting to shame his children. So why are we doing it? Why? Can't we celebrate the goodness of God that happens in somebody else's life? But we are waiting for someone to fall apart. God never tears us down. God is in the business of shining light so that the world is full of light. And how do I know that? Look at verse number 13. Because everything that has light becomes visible. It's illuminated. That's why it says, wake up, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. What it really says is that when correction happens... When sin is turned from, we are illuminated, meaning we have clearer vision about who Jesus is. This is the work of the gospel. When Jesus shines his light, when we turn around and shine our light on others, sinners are illuminated. Literally, their minds are renewed. You and me and us, we all have had those moments of illumination. There's no reason to try to dim anybody else's lights, but to shine our lights and to reprove after the Christian manner is to bring the full light of Christ's truth and the effects of Christ's truth to illuminate the power of Christ so that we can go around and say we have the fruit of the spirit that goodness and righteousness and truth are all around us every single day of the every single day of our lives and when we share the light of Christ we make other people light because when light shines darkness cannot exist and so maybe the reason there's so much darkness on your job and darkness in your home and darkness in your ministry is because you aren't shining your light but when you wake up and shine your light this is what the Lord has done this is how God has made a way this is who God is to me this is how I interpret scripture that when you shine your light darkness can exist so you sitting here, folk, if folk feel comfortable gossiping with you, you dark. Scared of none of y'all today. If folk feel, I'm out for a week, so I'm, I'm going to just come at it. If folk feel comfortable calling you with unnecessary stuff, they ain't the dark ones. Y'all in the dark room. If folk feel comfortable calling you and talking about somebody else's marriage, you're dark. If folk feel comfortable 
calling you and talking about somebody else's job, talking about your co-workers, talking about someone else, downing somebody else. Girl, did you hear? Bro, I want to talk about this. I want to tear this person apart. We better go get them, baby. They and you, neither one of you are in light because when light shines, dark, that the shame don't come in my house. Cussing don't come in my phone. Cussing don't come on my job. Shame doesn't show up in my car. Guilt doesn't show up at my house because when you walk in my presence, light is all around me. And I want to let you know that no matter how messed up you've been, I had someone say this to my sister last week. My sister was here, and she literally said, I know she's watching, hey, Camille. My sister, my sister was here last week, and she said something so powerful. She said, I don't want to leave because I feel at home here. And I was so, that made me want to weep because I'm like, when I think about every single thing in this room right now are people who've been marred by the world, put down on your jobs, people who feel down, who feel depressed, people who have lost this week, people who have struggles coming up next week, people who have meetings next week you don't know how to handle. And I want you to know that when you come into this place, the darkness of the world can be shined onto and you leave out of here with light. I want you to know that when you come here, that you're safe here. And when my sister told me that, it made me weak because it tells me that when you come here, you encounter Jesus. And when you leave out of here, you take that Jesus with you. So no matter where life has led you, when you leave out of here, I want you to leave with the light. I want you to know that you are light. Because the good news of the gospel is not that God ends anything, but that God finds ways to get things started. That's the gospel. And Paul says, so if we're going to do this, so then what do I do, Pastor Justin? When I leave out of church, why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? Does it mean I got to leave out of here if I'm the light? I got to go Bible thump people? If I leave out of here and I'm the light, does that mean I got to go? Every time I open my mouth, I got to just quote a bunch of scripture. I don't even like the King James Version. Are we reading the Message Bible? What am I going to do? What does it mean to live a holy life? Can I tell you this? Holiness is not as complicated as we've made holiness become. Be very clear. Holiness is not long skirts and black suits because that's the same thing mafias wear as well. So a black suit don't make you holy. A blue suit don't make you holy. A robe don't make you holy. Living a life in accordance with the word of God doesn't make you holy. The trusting of Jesus Christ starts there. Holiness, y'all, is not complicated. It's a term that simply means this, a constant pursuit of what you know about Jesus. I want to just bring this all the way back. Holiness is not the holiness church. It's not white sheets and white cloths. It's, it's holiness is a constant pursuit of what you know about Jesus. And here's what I've learned. If, if I'm pursuing Christ and I'm running in my lane and somebody else is pursuing Christ and they're running in their lane, eventually um, we're all going to be pursuing Christ at a different pace. And somebody may run a little faster and then somebody else is going to pass you on the journey. No matter what it is, we're pursuing what we know about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you this, what you know about God is enough. And there's more to learn about God. I know I'm debunking a lot of stuff you may have heard over the course of your life, but I want to tell you this. Pursuing holiness is not saying January 1st, I'm going to read the whole Bible. Because you know you start reading it, you read Genesis and you feel good about yourself. Then you read Exodus and you're like, ugh, but I'm going to keep doing it. And then you get to like First, Second Chronicles, you're like, God, for real, like... Methuselah did who and what and who and then Jabez and then we got to get to the minor prophets and everybody dying like you don't really want to read all this like reading the whole Bible does not make you holy or not holy 
Serving 10 minutes a month does not make you holy. And getting some oil on your forehead don't make you holy or not holy. Holiness is a constant pursuit of what you know about Jesus. And too many people, too many of us miss it, not because it's impossible, but because we don't try. Like, we know that God loves us. But have you turned around and loved God back? Right? And that shows, that's showcasing your priorities. Right? Is your priority getting a good job and being known and going viral and showcasing who you are? So therefore, my priority is not Jesus. My priority is me. So holiness isn't my priority. I'm not constantly pursuing knowing more about Jesus. And Paul arrests our attention and says, we can talk about all this churchy stuff, but if Jesus isn't your priority at home, Jesus then isn't your priority in church, because it doesn't start in church. It starts at home. And so Paul argues that healthy personal relationships are a byproduct of a healthy life with Jesus. That if your life is centered on showing grace and hope and love, you are living a life of holiness. If your relationships are holy, but if your life with Christ is not holy, your relationships won't be holy. So how do we live a holy life? A life that pleases God. It's easy to say God's first and family first, and I want this, and we can do a bunch of web searches on it. But I want to challenge you with some very simple things, if you guys don't mind today, to have holy homes. Holy homes. I'm not asking you to speak in tongues tomorrow. I'm not asking you to have an altar at your house. I'm not asking you to wake up every day with praise and worship. What I am saying is, what does it look like for your home to be holy? So that when anyone comes into your house, they are illuminated to the light of Christ. Because let me tell you, it takes more energy to cancel hate, gossip, and ruin than it takes to love Christ. Like, it takes so much energy, like, really think about it, to get you, fix your fingers, get on Twitter and talk about Kanye, talk about Kanye. It takes so much energy to research pop culture, to call your friends, to talk about what's wrong with somebody, to find out, hope they don't talk about it, hope they don't know someone. Who do they know if I talk about them? Who do they know if I gossip about so-and-so? You know so-and-so's related to so-and-so. So if I tell so-and-so, they're going to tell five people over here, hope they don't find out because I want to be their friend. I just want to talk about them a little bit. Like, you know, it takes so much energy to do all of that. Paul says, but just shine light. There's a sheet I gave everyone as you walked in. If you didn't get it, you can get it on your way out. But I want to give you this as we talk about going into next year. I don't believe you wait till January 1st to think about next year. But I want to just walk through this sheet really quickly about gifts and goals, right? So if we're going to do this, I want you to apply this to your family. I want you to apply this to yourselves as well. The first place you want to start is your gifts. First place you want to start is your gifts. So who are you, right? What are you most proud of about yourself and your family? What do you love doing? What do people compliment you or your family for? What are you poised to do? Gifts are the unique nuances of your life. I want you to think about the things that you find effortless. And I want you to start with your gifts, right? I want you to start with who are you? What are you gifted in? What is unique about your family? Like when people come to your home, what do they say when they leave your home? Like, man, I can't wait to go back, wait to go back to their home because this is what I receive in their home right? And then let me tell you something. When they, people receive something from your family, they can't wait to bring something to your family. This goes to those of you who are single as well. I want you to look at your, your single and your personal relationships. What are you most proud of about yourself? What do you love doing? What do people compliment you for? That's your gifts. Then to get to goals, like your goals are on the other side of your sheet. So goals are the things that like, I want you to think less about, I want a promotion. And like, how can I help in my own and, my, and others healing? 
right? That's your goal. So what are you trying to make happen in the world? What facet of the world are you obsessed with changing? What do you want to be in service to? And how do you want to be remembered? That's your goals. Now, how do we get there? Like, this is the part where I just want to rest in the, the how. The four things I want to challenge you to do, a guiding scripture. So I want you to think about 2023 now, not in January, but now. Scripture is the script for your life. Scripture is the script for your life. What is God telling you to do this year comes down to his word. So what scripture is guiding your year? And for your families, what scripture, this is where prayer time together as a family is so vital. What scripture is guiding your family? That if anything, because let me tell you this, um, script, I'll get to principles. Let me get to principles. So principles here. You, if you were to live by one or two phrases, the question I like to raise with young adults when I do this is, um, if you were to get a phrase tattooed on your arm, what is that phrase? Not only that you see, but that others will see all the time. Like, what is that phrase that you are known by? Because let me tell you this, principles answer the question before the question is even asked. I want that to sink in. Print your principles answer questions. People don't bring certain questions to you because your principles have already told them the answer, right? Thirdly, who are the people? So I want you to name this. Who are your enemies? Like name people you know that are against your future and stop engaging with them. Like, oh my God, like why is it that we are so consumed with what our enemies think? You know they don't want your marriage to be successful and y'all stay going on dates with them. Who are your enemies? Number two, who are your collaborators? Like, who are the people that you know that if you call, you are working together with? Who are your customers, people who you know are caring about you, that are pouring into you? And who are, who are you competitive with? And here's what I want you to challenge you on this. I want to kill the idol of competition. I want you to rename it, like, the people you are competitive with. What if you collaborated with the people you're competitive with? Right? You comp compete with them so much. What if you collaborated with them? And then who do you learn from? I want to challenge us with this. Forget a mentor and get a champion. Like, who's the person, not that you're just trying to pull from, but is pulling you up to? Like, who, forget mentors, grab a champion, someone who wants to watch you win. Lastly, your practices. So what's your routine on your best days? And what's your routine on your worst days? I want you to consider, like, when life hits you, what changes about you? And when life hits you in a good way, what changes about you? Consider your rituals and routines. What does that do for your family and for you individually? It moves you from your gifts to your goals. This is the consistency of holiness. Scripture principles people practice. Scripture principles people practice. And that's the script of holiness. And that's what Paul is challenging us in this text. So this all comes down to this, and I'm finished here. Paul is challenging us to do this in the text really quickly. I want to increase your appetite. Do you have an appetite and desire for Jesus? Like, do you really want to know more about Jesus? Paul argues here that when we get to family structures, you can take it down with the right priority. When you get to family structures, my priority, and I have an appetite for the light of Christ. And this light is not some fake showing of love, a semblance of Christian charity. This is literally saying, I have an appetite by a scriptures, practices, people, and, 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 my pract and, 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 my, and the people and the principles around me. I have a desire to have Jesus' light guide me. Not fake smiles, fake hugs, fake issues, fake running, fake problems. But I'm personally invested in the joy of Jesus. So when you wake up. What does your prayer time look like? 
And I know it's not real life coaching today, but I really hope I'm helping somebody. Like, what does your prayer sound like when you're on the bathroom scrolling through Instagram? Like, what, is your, what would it look like for you if the last 10 minutes of your day was centered on receiving the joy of God, praying about your dreams before you went to sleep? What would it look like for you when you wake up in the morning that you're praying about the day before you even run into the day? Praying about the people you're going to encounter in the day before the day even starts. The struggle with this joy is what do your family say about you and your relationship with Christ? I had to ask myself that question when my wife's mom was here. I asked myself the question. I was looking at the things she was doing. She works with the Sunday school department at her church at home. And I was sitting here wondering to myself, I'm like, my wife's mom is here. I wonder what she thinks about pastors as she's lived in a home with me for a month. Like, what does she really think? And it made me consider, like, has she seen me not just read my scriptures to write a sermon, but has she seen my devotional time? Did I bring her into, and I'm challenged as a pastor, I'm sharing this in full transparency. I was challenged because I said to myself the first week she was here, the only time I opened my Bible when she was around was when I was writing a sermon. She didn't see my personal devotion. I didn't invite her into my personal devotional time. I didn't invite, I didn't ask her about her Sunday school lesson. She was doing things by herself. I didn't ask her about what God was doing in her life. And then yet I'm coming to church on Sunday saying, this is the day the Lord has made. And I'm like, geez, on Monday, my wife's mother didn't see that this was also the day the Lord has made. I'm the pastor saying it. So I'm challenging all of us today, church, is what does your family say about the joy you have in? You're shouting on Sunday. You praising God on Sunday. You singing on Sunday. But on Wednesday, can your children, can your dog, can the, per- the barista at the coffee shop, can they say, that person knows Jesus? Do the people who know and seen you, that know who you are with your shoes off, that know who you are at happy hour, that know who you are at the gym, do they also know that you know Jesus? Is Jesus a priority? Paul says, I want you to increase your appetite. Because too often we wake up in the morning and the thoughts we wake up in the morning with are, what can other people do for me? Right? What can my wife do for me today? What can my husband do for me today? What can my mom or my dad do for me today? Oh, I'm going I'm to text my parents. I need some cash app today. I, those of you in college, I might reach out to mama. Mama, I love you. And do you still, your Venmo still work, right? I mean, I really want, I, I, what can other people do for me? And here's what happens. And we talk about voting. That carries over into our social and civic engagement. Some of us could care less about the change in our community. We just want to be on stage when the change happens. Right? Like, we want to be on stage when the street name is changed. Do you know all I did to change the name of the street? Because we don't care about the street name change. We want to make sure folk know that I did it. When we eradicate problems in our community, I don't want, I, I, I want to eradicate the problem, but I want people to know that it was my tweet that changed the problem. So Jesus isn't a priority. Our community isn't a priority. Our churches aren't a priority because we are the priority. Jesus says, I want you to deepen your appetite for me. I don't want to go viral, but I want Jesus to go viral. If I'm not seen, I want Jesus to go be seen. Because when it's about me, we don't matter. 
But the good news is, Paul says, well, when you make Jesus a priority, Jesus will show you that the light you turned off can still be turned back on. When you make Jesus a priority, Jesus will show you that when you made a conscious decision to live in darkness, Jesus can turn your light back on. That when I wake up in Jesus, Jesus gives you another chance to turn the light back on. That when I wake up in the morning, Jesus. When I drink my coffee, Jesus. When I drink my tea, Jesus. When I get in my car, Jesus. When I get to home, Jesus. When I go to school, Jesus. Because Jesus shows me that he's been working all around me and that Jesus can give me promotion in places where I make him a priority. You want to see promotion in your marriage? Make Jesus a priority. You want to see promotion on your job? It's your resume. But first, make Jesus a priority. You want to see promotion in your home? Make Jesus a priority. And I promise you that when you raise the standard, God will meet you at the standard and show you that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts because you're deepening your appetite for Jesus. So here's the principle I'll give you and I'm done. Rename your distractions as disruption. Oh, this is so good. That too often Jesus is an inconvenience instead of the center. I don't want people at my job to know, what will they say about me if they know I'm saved? What will they say about me if I praise God? What will they say about me? So Jesus becomes a distraction instead of you realizing that the Jesus you serve is a disruptor. What will they know about you if they know that you know Jesus? They'll know that they can't fire you because Jesus is all around you. What will they know about you if Jesus was not a distraction but a disruption? They'll know that you start your day in prayer. So they'll know that even if they don't know Jesus, they know where Jesus lives and it's on your email. What will they say about you? They'll know that you are disrupting systems because you serve a God that'll turn tables over, anoint the feet of those who are far from God, and embrace all. Am I talking to anybody in the building? Jesus is not a distraction. He is a disruptor, and that's why no weapon formed against me, no firing formed against me, no pain formed against me, no divorce formed against me, no Negro formed against me, no Negret formed against me can prosper in my life because Jesus is not a distraction. Jesus is a disruption. So that's why when you go vote on Tuesday, Jesus ain't a distraction. He's disrupting city council. God, I wish I had. He's disrupting what's going on in our community. He's disrupting this crazy police situation. He's disrupting Vallejo because Jesus is not a distraction. He disrupts it so that we can build the kingdom of God. Because if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, I'll hear from heaven. I'll heal your home. I'll heal your children. I'll heal your family. I'll heal your job. Not because of your degree, but because of Jesus. So take steps to develop an appetite for the light that you already have. And here's what shouts me, and I'm finished. Paul says, when you have the appetite, I want Jesus. Paul says, then you embrace your season. Yeah, yeah. Paul says, here's what you do. You always win with Jesus. I know. I like it's like super holy, I know. That's just like, I went with Jesus, but like, tell me about this and Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And oh my God, Joe Biden can't talk and he's old. And we got all these elections and what's going to happen in Texas. And oh my God, Stacey Abrams and Warnock. Like, what's going to happen? Let me tell you something. You win when you walk with Jesus. 
Do I have any witnesses in this Anglican church? And when you look back over your life, you can testify that the reason you are here today is because you learned that you win when you walk with Jesus. Well, I know we got to vote on Tuesday, but I need some prophetic voters on Tuesday. That's what we need. I don't need no passive voters. We need prophetic voters. I'm not worried about city council because as long as I'm walking with Jesus, when I put my vote down, lights going to shine. I win. So if I win on my job, I win the city council. If I win on my job in my home, I win in the courthouse because I'm walking with Jesus. That's just Bible. Paul says, when you have an appetite, you embrace your season. And your season does one thing. When I have an appetite for Jesus, watch this, you will produce fruit. There was a, there was a moment, we're making an investment once. And this investment we were making, it was weird because they told us there's a guaranteed return. It's this really interesting investment opportunity. And I said, listen, you're guaranteed a return because of the amount you put in. Paul is saying, when, hallelujah, you walk with Jesus, you are guaranteed to produce fruit. Oh, you know what you're waiting for. So Paul says, don't wait to produce in a different season. Know that God has trusted you, hallelujah, to produce fruit. We live in a world that tells us a family ought to look like, what home ought to look like. Court cases and systems are yearly changing everything. Let me tell you this. Paul challenges us. As the world changes, you trust the God that never changes. God says, embrace you and embrace him. And you will produce fruit. The world tells you because you're single, you can't produce fruit unless you're on your way to marriage. I can't tell you. God can care less what your relationship status is. You can produce fruit. We're talking to folk in the building. God, the world says because you're divorced, you screwed up. Your marriage is all messed up. How did you make a bad decision? I can't tell you. God says in every season you're in, as long as you're walking with Jesus, you can produce fruit. I'm talking to folk in the building. I tell you all the time. Marriage is you got it all figured out because you married that everything's figured out, everything's perfect. God says, listen, trust me. And you'll produce fruit. I'm talking to folks in the building who are widowed. Your spouse has gone on to be with God. And you're wondering, what do I do to navigate this season of being by myself? God says, you can still produce fruit. I'm talking to people who are mid-40s and single and you think your life is over. What I'm telling you is you still can produce fruit. Why? Because God, his light is still inside of you. God's light did not get put out because you're divorced. God's light did not get put out because you're single. God's light did not get put out because you're widowed. God's light did not get put out because you're 50. God's light did not get put out because you're 60. But God says as long as you're connected to me, you can still produce fruit in season and out of season. You can produce fruit in every place and in every way. So if you're single and you don't want to get married, let your light shine so that single, saved, and satisfied people know you can still produce fruit. You're married and happy, let your light shine so those who are married know that God works in marriages. You're single and you want to get married? Let your light shine so that God can show you that God will align other lights. You're divorced and frustrated. Let your light shine so that divorcees know that God will be with you in every season. You're widowed and sad? Let your light shine so that somebody knows that it's not over. You, God says, let your light shine. Embrace your season. Your life ain't over. My light's just getting brighter. 
I'm not single and sad. I'm in the right season. My marriage ain't bad. I'm in the right season. I'm divorced or widowed or down or grieving. I'm in the right season. Because watch this. If I own my season, the devil can't tell me my season. If I own my season, the devil can't describe my season. If I own my season, the devil can't take power from my season. Because all I'm doing is producing fruits. I'm gifted. I'm loved by God. I'm gifted and I'm loved by God. <laughs> I'm gifted and I'm loved by God. I'm gifted and I'm loved by God. And I can produce in season. I can produce out of season. I can produce on fertile ground. I can produce on stony ground. I can produce on desert ground. I can produce on mountain ground because I'm loved by God. I'm gifted by God. I'm and God is shining on me. So I don't know where you are in your personal relationships, but I want to give you the last part of the text. Arise, oh sleeper. Let me tell you this. Quit sleeping on yourself and want other people to be woke on you. Arise, oh sleeper. Do you know how gifted, how beautiful, how wonderful Arise, O oh sleeper. Why? Because Christ's light is shining on you. Christ's light is shining on you. Arise from the depths of your pain. Arise. I know you're divorced. Arise. I know you're widowed. Arise. I know you're single. Arise. I know you're struggling. Arise. I know you're barren. Arise. I know you're sterile. Arise. I know you were addicted. Arise. I know you're past. Arise, oh sleeper. It's time to wake up. I'm not asking you to wake up to anything. I want you to wake up to yourself. I want you to wake up to the God that said, I died for you. I want you to wake up to yourself. Too much blood was spilt for you to sleep on yourself. Too much stuff was given for you to sleep on yourself. Arise, oh sleeper. Single in sleep, arise. Widowed in sleep, arise. Divorced in sleep, arise. Quit sleeping on yourself. Arise, oh sleeper. And Christ will shine. On you. Take Jesus home this week. Take Jesus home this week. And I guarantee you our worship will look so different. Watch this. If we entered into his gates with thanksgiving. Because you know why? When I was at home, I woke up like this. God, I thank you for another day. I thank you for another opportunity. I thank you for how great you are. I woke up with thanksgiving. I woke up with praise. I woke up with, and do I have anybody in this building that can help me practice what we're preaching? I woke up with gratitude. I woke up thankful. I woke up how great I am. So when I was at, when I was in my kitchen, I was thanking God. When I was taking a shower, I was thanking God. And then, baby, I went to the living room. And when I put on my gospel music, I kept on thanking God. I kept on praising God. And then I got in my car and I began to thank God for every blessing I have, every mountain I crossed over, every valley. I drove by my doctor's office and I was glad it was a visit and I didn't stay there. I drove by the hospital and I was glad I stopped there but didn't stay there. And then I made it to God's house. And let me tell you, with everything I thanked him for back here, I entered into his gates with thanksgiving. I, am I talking in great 
shine his light. Do I have any grateful people, any thankful people who can take 25 seconds and give God praise? Because I came into his clutch with praise. I'm thankful unto him and bless his name because the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. Arise, O sleeper, and Christ will shine. God, we're grateful for the light that you are. God, we're thankful that you shine all around us. We're grateful, God, that when we embrace you as the light, Everything around us will be illuminated. So God, if we have any dark friends, put us around them this week to challenge if we're choosing light or darkness. Convict us, God, and we'll get more comfortable with the darkness than we do with the light. And God, we will walk in the light, the beautiful light. Shine all around us by day and by night. Because you're not just the light of the world on Christmas. You're not just the light of the world and we want you to be the light. But we thank you that Monday you're the light. Tuesday you'll be the light at school. We thank you you're the light at Jesse Bethel. You're the light at Vallejo. You're the light when we vote. So God, even as we vote this week, illuminate us as we vote. That we will be the change agents at the polls. Convict us, God, if we want to say no to the prophetic ministry you're calling us to so that we might shine the light. And God, convict us next week when we come to worship that we won't enter looking to be grateful. We enter with gratitude. We enter with praise because you are who you are. Somebody here today, God, doesn't know you. Waken their heart today to the light that's in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Come on, if you're grateful, take a moment give God the best praise you've got. Come on, if he's been the light to you. Come on, if he's been the light in you. If he's been illuminating you. If he has comforted you and corrected you. God, we give you glory. We give you praise. Everybody standing, the doors of the church are open. If you're here today.